Hey, do you remember the 1990 Bill Murray movie Quick Change that he also directed? No? Well then, you've got a show in store for you. Welcome to the Magnificently Huge Podcast with your hosts, Eric Reed, Brian Kruger, and Chris Ryerson. Three idiots who decided to slap an adverb together with an adjective to bring you one magnificently huge discussion each week about the movies and pop culture we kind of like, maybe even secretly love, before we ultimately crap all over them. We're not here to save the world, we're just here to make it weirder, one podcast at a time. This is Magnificently Huge. Oh, hey there, listener. Welcome to another episode of the Magnificently Huge Podcast. This is Chris, and this week, along with Eric and Brian, we're going to set the Wayback Machine to 1990 and talk about a movie that nobody apparently remembers, starring Bill Murray and Gina Davis and Randy Quaid and Jason Robards. It's called Quick Change. Do you remember this movie? That's the question. Uh, if you say no, we won't hold it against you because it's just not very memorable. It came out. It didn't do any business and then it was just scrubbed from public consciousness, apparently. Which is a shame, because Bill Murray co-directed it, he produced it, he stars in it, it's very much his movie. And yet, in between Ghostbusters 2 and What About Bob, nobody came, nobody saw it. I guess it had sort of a life on video, and then it just sort of fizzled. But when you ask people, have you seen Quick Change? The majority answer is no. What's that? And so... We're going to talk about that. It's kind of a weird bag of cinema history. And uh, if you like what we have to say about this particular movie or anything else, really, uh, just drop us a line. Magnusahuge at gmail.com. You can catch us on Twitter, as long as Twitter is still around and not a burning cesspool of Elon Musk's uh, egomania. Uh, You can also catch us on Facebook and Instagram. uh, Or head on over to our website, maghuge.com. We've got links and show descriptions and artworks and all kinds of fun stuff. And then, you know, wherever you find your podcasts. You know, you know where to find us. You're listening right now. Uh, But yeah, today's show topic, quick change. Do you remember it? No. Yes, perhaps. I mean, what happened to quick change? It's just a strange, strange, strange uh, instance for a superstar like Bill Murray to make something so forgettable. Uh, We kind of like it. It's not one of our super favorites, but there you have it. Uh, I've rambled on too much. Obviously, we're just going to get on with the show now. Uh, we're the crying on the inside kind of podcast. Uh, that's a reference to the line in the movie. Anyway, check you later. And welcome back to the Magnificently Huge Podcast, the world's first podcast that talks about movies that are really old and you've probably not heard of, but you should. I'm Eric. Hey, Eric. Hey, Eric. I'm Brian. Let's watch some old movies. I'm, I'm Chris and every movie I watch eventually becomes old. Right? Yeah. That's how that works. It's funny, time, isn't it? Time is like, narrow. Today we're talking huh. about a movie that is not only old, it's unknown to most people, <laughs> but there was a point yeah. when we saw it in a goddamn movie theater. It's weird. It's crazy. Uh, but we old, we're weird. talking about a movie that came out <laughs> while I was working in a movie theater, and I saw the trailer for this movie so many times. Nice. <laughs> nice. nice. It was a crying yeah, on no. the inside kind of trailer. Yeah. Yes. Anyway, um, uh, Bill Murray. How's everybody doing? Good this week. Good times. Great. Fabulous. Super. It's a it's a late April chill here in the Chicago's area. It was it was eighty degrees last weekend. We were walking around with shorts and sandals, and uh, 
this weekend it's in like the low 40s with uh sleet it's amazing love it april <laughs> good time of year Ooh. <laughs> uh well we're we're in, i'm here in phoenix where we're we're quickly moving up to the 100 degree weather so we had about yeah. our two weeks of good weather yeah and so much for that uh, um do you think the uh the water supply is going to go away anytime soon are you worried i mean yes okay just checking <laughs> Just joking. <laughs> I mean, that's that to me is going to be like the most entertaining Netflix series, uh, California versus Arizona, where basically these national guards build up along the river to get as much of the water as they can because everyone's, you know, everyone's going to end up doing that eventually. They're right, going right. to end up killing each other for the water. May as well yeah, get a Netflix wars uh, coming. series ah. out of it. Yeah. Good times. That would yeah. be awesome. Anyway, anyway, welcome to America. It's the 21st century and we have no water. Yay! Yay! Uh, does anybody have any fresh shit they'd care to talk about instead? This shit is fresh! Oh, shit, that is fresh. This stuff is really fresh! I've got some weird fresh shit. So there's this TV show called Yellowstone that I have never seen <laughs> that has Nor Kevin Costner as a rancher in Wyoming and it's all very, uh, you know, self-reliance and you know the sort of cowboy it's, milieu of america it's considered the red state show but i'm not sure that's actually true but it's like middle america loves this goddamn show right i have not been watching that but i've been watching uh the i guess yellowstone verse shows because the guy who made that made a bunch of prequel series <laughs> yeah basically yeah. Basically, the Paramount Plus is is Yellowstone Plus, right? Because right. just nothing but spinoffs. Because <laughs> well, because we got. It's funny brand. because Ye- Yellowstone is a show that was made for NBC by Paramount, so NBC has the streaming rights. So if you want to watch Yellowstone, you got to get Peacock, but you oh, can't okay. watch it on Paramount Plus. So Paramount went and greenlit all these prequels that they can put on Paramount Plus. So I've got Paramount Plus for the Star Treks. And I saw this Yellowstone shit, and I was like, well, where's the actual Yellowstone? Oh, well, you're going to have to go pay someone else for that. But we made these for you. So I've been watching those, and they are actually really great westerns. You know, is, I, I if you like westerns, they're well done. Is that it's one of those with Harrison Ford? Am I misreading yes. that? The okay. first one, which came out, uh, I think the year before last, is 1883, which is go. the Dutton family like first going out to Wyoming. They start in uh, Fort Worth, Texas uh, with a fucking brilliant cameo by Billy Bob Thornton as the sheriff, I might add. It's worth it almost <laughs> just for that episode. Uh, and how they go you know, out to Wyoming with all of these uh, German immigrants and are trying to help get them where they're trying to get without being dead. And, you know, it's it, it's it's the sort of wagon train story that hasn't been done for a long time and hasn't been done this well with all of the problems you get trying to run wagons across, you know, nothingness. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, Sam, Sam Elliott, Sam, there's so many Sams now. I can't remember the right. Sam Elliott's the one with the big mustache. Yeah. yeah the sometimes, one, sometimes there's the, a man. You eat the bar and sometimes yeah. the bar eats you. Yeah. Sometimes Him. there's a man. Well. He's a lazy man. <laughs> this is him laziest. at his most Sam Elliottist, right? I mean, he has got the mustache. 
He's got the draw. He's got a gun. Yeah. He's he, he's he's got a dead wife and child. And the first time we meet him, he is setting the house on fire with their bodies in it, and nice. then sticking a gun to his head, it and and chickening out. It's like that's that's the theme. Yeah. <laughs> and I ain't never seen the queen in her damn dundies, as the man once said. Yeah. How how he is in uh, Big Lebowski is the joke version of what he's really doing here. But and how's it's it all compared very to like brutal? It's very, it's very, it's, it's, it's very engaging. That's the thing. It's unforgiving. You don't ever go, oh, cliche time. No, this thing, people die and, uh, you don't question it. It's like, yeah. How how does it compare to, uh, to his turn in say Roadhouse as, uh, as grizzled sidekick Wade Garrett? Let's come on. Just, man. There's the Chris pivot. Let's take this conversation yeah. somewhere else. Hey, we're not yeah. we're talking about. So I hear they. Okay, I hear they mind. wear they wear cowboy hats. You know, there's this other dumb movie from the 70s where they wear cowboy hats. How does it compare to that? <laughs> what it, was it a western? I don't yeah. get it. Are there are it's there a, engines in this one? Is that the appropriate term? That's not the appropriate term anymore. Never mind. Yeah. yeah. No, the movie with cowboy hats and engines is Smokey and the Bandit, Chris. But oh, okay. I think Eric's talking I, about 1883. I, I, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yes. Okay. I'm lost. All right. Anyway, anyway, it's Western. It's really good. And then there, the one with Harrison Ford and Helen Mirren is 1923, which oh, is God. the okay. Dutton family in Wyoming, you know, pre leading up to the Depression. And uh, that's going on right now. They're, they're, they're they're eking out the episodes week by week. Um, so far, you, so good. But like the the point is though, it is all exactly what you would imagine from CBS, which is content for old people. You know? <laughs> so so they basically went from night from eighteen eighty three to uh-huh. nineteen twenty three. So do you think the next right. one will be nineteen sixty three? Is that the could be seventy three i think or, i think no, it I depends on when yeah, the yeah. next big thing in the ranching universe happened you know because they seem I've... to be following that uh okay, okay. i'm not sure i want to watch yellowstone because it really just looks like dallas but um <laughs> well it's but got all the to... history i love i love american history i love learning about things that happened then and i i like seeing it in film and nineteen twenty three the pre depression west is not covered at all. I mean, you know, this is pre-Dust Bowl. This is, you know, uh, again, before the fall of, of uh, the banking empire. People were still just pretty much freshly out of World War One, And, you know, all you ever see from that are black and whites of New York City. You don't have any concept of the rest of the world. And 1923 really? kind of covers a lot. Yeah. What, 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 what would you say it does? Well, I guess, I guess you're right. It was more late 1880s. I mean, Growing up in Arizona, there was a whole lot of Wild West shit, and mm-hmm. also growing up in the 70s and 80s, there was a lot of like reruns of westerns that were made for boomer audiences. But yeah, do they cover the the early 20s? Maybe not. Maybe yeah. maybe you're right. Yeah, yeah, those those either covered the 1950s when they were made, or they covered the you know just post Civil War era. But like this period when there are cars. And horses sharing the same road. It's not really, mm. you know, talked about much. And so I, I really dig that. Yeah. Um, th- that makes me think of uh, the Sun. I think it's the Sons of Katie Elder, the John Wayne movie, which is basically uh, like a whole, like John Wayne is the oldest son and the youngest is like 
like half his age is really weird but mm-hmm. it's like he drive like one of them drives a motorcycle and so it's like they're all <laughs> these like grizzled like western dudes and then the young kids got the motorcycle it's just the weirdest western yeah. ever so yeah, yeah. actually okay. you know what yeah it is it is very reminiscent of the shootist the last john wayne movie because okay. that one is just after the death of uh queen uh queen oh i can't remember the one from the she died in the early 1900s but yeah it was the yeah, uh, yeah. victoria the end of the victorian era and yeah there are cars and there are yeah there's civilization encroaching on the west and it's a lot of that okay i i would hmm. say even without having seen any of this yellowstone stuff both of these shows independently are worth watching they're pretty good and how long are these seasons are they like so you know, far, ten episodes each. 20. Yeah, ten episodes. There's only one season of 1883. I don't think there's going to be a second. I think it's a one-off. Okay. Same thing with okay. 1923, and they're they're only like six episodes in. Very weird to see Helen Mirren and Harrison Ford married because they were also married in The Mosquito Coast, a film nobody saw. But oh, that's was, right. That, that's right. Yeah, that was a film made by like my favorite bad filmmaker, uh, Paul Schrader. No, it wasn't. That was uh, Peter Weir. Was it? I thought Paul Schrader had something to do with that. Wait a minute. He I'm he might have written the down. he might have written the script adaptation of the novel, but uh, but yeah, that wasn't that Paul counts. Schrader. That counts. Directors don't do mm-hmm. nothing. Mm-hmm. Writers <laughs> do everything. Uh huh. All uh-huh. directors do is go. I had this idea, and then I hired someone with talent to make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> fucking weirdo. Anyway, that's what I got. Uh, uh, All right. I'm gonna I'm gonna pick it up from there. Okay. Um. So while we're while we're talking about content you can get on a specific streaming service, let's pay a visit to Apple TV Plus, which neither oh. of you have. I don't think. I'm sorry. Uh, not, not not Emerald Forest, The Mosquito Coast. Yes. Paul Schrader wrote it. Which whatever. Okay. Carry on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Paul Schrader so, did the actual work. Right. Yeah. Okay. Wink, wink. <laughs> so Apple TV Plus, um, a couple things from there. First of all, so I watched, they made a movie, and okay, they made a movie about the, the game Tetris. Oh, right, I kind of right. want to set yeah. the stage on this a little bit. So um, there's a book out there, um, which is a history of Nintendo by author David Sheff called Game Over where he talks about the wheelings and dealings of the actual rights of Nintendo. Basically what's happening is the Russians were double dealing and then the Westerners to whom the Russians were double dealing the rights were also double dealing and selling rights that they didn't have. And so there's this whole <laughs> clusterfuck. And in the real world, there was this situation where a bunch of people descended upon Elorg in Russia where Alexei Pajitnov wrote Tetris and and are basically being negotiated in separate rooms at the same time by the Russians, and they they stab each other in the back in creative contractual ways. And I remember reading this story in Game Over and thinking, that actually does sound like it would be a compelling like show or movie or something, but I don't know how you'd adapt it. Well, they adapted it. <laughs> um, Taron Edgerton is um, Hank... Rogers, the guy from Bulletproof Software that ultimately will will go on to form the Tetris company with 
um, Pajitnov, but they take that and they turn it into a Cold War spy movie. <laughs> um, is it like this a, movie does not pretend to be realistic? Is it like <laughs> a clear. like uh, Halt and Catch Fire? Is it that kind of vibe, or is it like something different? Uh, it's a little less realistic than Halt and Catch Fire, but there's there's definitely a Halt and Catch Fire thing going on there. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But I mean, there's a point in this movie where um, Howard Lincoln and Minoru Arakawa from Nintendo of America are in a car chase with the KGB. Uh, okay, so, like, <laughs> let's not get carried away. <laughs> Seriously. Um, For real. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's entertaining. <laughs> That's where they come up with the idea for Mario Kart. <laughs> I mean, it's like there's some, there's some, there's some real like do the hack bullshit that happens at one point in this movie. Hack. That's my game boy. That's still one of my um, favorite. Do the hack. Yeah. Yeah. Short-handed. No, I yeah, mean, yeah. it is. You have to just kind of take this thing at face value. Well, yeah. Okay. Sure. Inspired by true events may be defensible. <laughs> I mean, Star it's, Wars was inspired it. by World yeah. War Two, so I guess. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, but yeah. but this is, it's really just they're using Tetris as as the backdrop for making a Cold War movie. And I gotta say, it's a lot of fun watching actors get to, again. Spycraft is always more fun in a world before there was cell phones. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> um, but it's really fun watching, especially the KGB guys. Um plausibly deniably threaten people you know <laughs> that that sort of mafioso thing of you know oh i see your children are going to this specific school they go to where they have a class at this time where they you have nice car would know. be pity if something bad happened yeah. to it yeah <laughs> yeah i mean it's not quite that boris and natasha but uh. but it is fun to watch people you know say things that are on the surface innocuous but obviously not what a country. Um, it does, you know, it does take place in, you know, the late 80s, so we know the Soviet Union is crumbling and everyone's trying to sort of figure out how they're going to uh, get take off the care ship. of themselves. Right, in right. This, yeah. yeah, in this. So, yeah, it's rats deserting the ship. And, yeah, I, it, it was enjoyable. I would not watch it if you're interested in the history of Tetris, but it was enjoyable. Yeah. <laughs> That's it's kind of like uh the the film adaptation, which is actually an adaptation of The Orchid yes. Thief. A book yeah. that is so dry you can't make a film of it. So they made a different film. Yeah. Yeah. But it's the Orchid Thief. Yeah, it's kind of that. Well, it is kind of that. And and they do actually get all of the bits of the the contract negotiations wedged in there. Like it's it's as somebody who knows that watching is like, oh, wait, no, that actually happened. <laughs> I like the fact that it shows up on Apple TV as well, because I remember when the first rounds of the Max came out and like Tetris was just mm-hmm. on every single one. And so everybody was playing Tetris there for a brief spell. Like my roommate in college, my freshman year had a Mac and I literally played Tetris 24 seven. I don't think I even went to class. It was, it was the pack in game for the first Game Boy. Yeah. I mean, yeah. it basically made the Game Boy. So that's really go. what this this movie is telling the story of how that comes to be, you know. And anyway, uh, yeah, fun stuff. 
Okay. Okay. And then other fun stuff on Apple TV. Oh, baby. Schmigadoon Season 2. Doing Schmicago. Schmicago. Is oh it, boy is it darker <laughs> i hear it's maybe a little darker oh yeah oh yeah okay. no okay. they've they've completely so first of all we now have a narrator an omniscient narrator character who's played by titus burgess who you might know from kimmy schmidt right um so he's our you know he's our whatever uh cabaret mc makes perfect sense. um yeah <laughs> but but yeah, our our heroes are frustrated with their life in the real world, and they decide they miss Schmigadoon, and so they're going to try to go back to Schmigadoon, and they instead end up in Chicago, <laughs> um, where they do. realize, As oh shit, do. these musicals, you know, these musicals don't have happy endings. Like bad things happen, <laughs> and so now we're doing Chicago and Sweeney Todd and Hair. And, like, a bunch of stuff in, in the sort of that time frame. Um, like, we start off with a song, you know, that's a take on Chicago, uh, where there's all these women singing this, Did we shock you? Because we're really putting a lot of effort into it. And, and the, the shocking things about them is, like, you know, I have a tattoo. You know? <laughs> um, Does that shock you? It's it's amazing. W y o m i n g Wyoming. <laughs> um, and I mean, the first season was only six episodes long, and we've got four episodes of this season. It's ongoing, and I don't know how long this one's going to be, but it could be only another six. We might we might be already nearing the end. What I can say is, the fourth episode of the Chicago season of Schmigadoon is when we finally get Alan Cumming and Kristen Chenoweth to share a musical number. And I don't want to spoil it, but it is the absolute highest high of anything in Schmigadoon. <laughs> the music, the lyrics, the, the story they're telling, everything about it is just, I'm laughing my ass off at this thing. <laughs> okay, okay. Wow. And I, I don't... I, I don't think either of you are ever going to see it. I don't think either of you have Apple TV, right? No. Occasionally. Um, Occasionally, okay. I have it. I mean... Eric, I'm not going to spoil it, because you kind of need to see this. Okay. <laughs> and if you haven't seen season one, you kind of need to see it, too. Oh. Um, but, but yeah, Schmigadoon, Schmicago, great Schmicago. stuff. Highly recommended. <laughs> Schmicago. <Check it> <laughs> uh, Quite the plug for Apple right. TV. Where do you stand on Ted yeah. Lasso? What's your, your stance on that? I haven't bothered to watch it. Okay, good on you. Good on you. I think that's, it's cute. That's all I, I like Ted Lasso. Okay. Well, you would, I right? Think, yeah, I I think it's an actual <laughs> feel good that made me feel good. Okay. Uh, but I didn't. I yeah, we got rid of Apple Plus before I could watch season two. Okay. Well then, one day it shall return. Yes. There you go. Okay. Chris, you got fresh shit for us. Uh, I have some not so fresh shit, but it's fresh to this particular discussion. Uh. I have I had never seen the original 1974 Charlie Bronson classic Death Wish. I use classic in air quotes. Yes, uh, but it was one of it's one of those like films that just looms large across you know uh, culture. 
Uh, what I just said with never... a special connection for us because you get to see so much of Terminal One of Sky Harbor Airport in Phoenix. Yes, it's <laughs> it's a very weird uh, time capsule this movie. But like everybody talks about, you know how violent it is and this and that. And I, forty years later, it's not. Fifty years later, almost, it's really not. It's pretty tame. Like when you get into the Death Wish two and three, where they just That's ramp it to eleven. Yeah. That's what when I there's like a full on gang rape and they show it, you know, it's like, yeah, I yeah. don't need this. Yeah. But uh, I think that's what most people remember. Yeah. But the, the original Death Wish with Charlie Bronson, uh, it's I mean, it's still tough at times to watch because basically he's an architect on holiday with his wife uh, in Hawaii. They come back to New York and it's just the shithole cesspool that New York is uh, supposed to be in movies like this. Um, he goes back to work and his wife and daughter are attacked by a bunch of thugs and his wife ends up dying. His daughter gets such extreme PTSD that she goes into uh, an asylum and then Charlie Bronson becomes this weird vigilante who just stalks the streets and kills thugs. I mean, that's literally the movie. Uh, it's, a, it's a Republican wet dream, <laughs> this film. It's just amazing. That they they weren't subtle at all, just not even a little bit. But uh, it it's it's fun for me to bring it up just because here's I I sort of disengage from the entire movie. It's not good. I didn't care for it. I just thought it was sort of like ho hum. It fits in with all the other seventies nonsense. But what's weird is when you watch this, you see all of these other people crop up that will become bigger later. Jeff Goldblum so, is in that. Like Jeff Goldblum, yeah. He's one of the thugs that uh, like kills the wife and uh, rapes the daughter. It's like a very weird... It's like it's very uncomfortable to see Jeff Goldblum in that kind of thing. Uh, but he's only in it for like five minutes. But then Christopher Guest shows up later as a street cop uh, who is corralling one of the scenes of, uh, of Charlie Bronson's shootings. Uh, you get uh, Vincent Gardenia, who is the inspector chasing him, and he would go on to be, he's the dad in like Moonstruck. Uh, and then, oddly enough, Olympia Dukakis shows up as <laughs> like one, of the, one of the officers in the, the ready room when he's giving his speech to the troops to go find this guy. She shows up in it, and they are, they're married in Moonstruck years later. So it's like all these like weird connections that I start seeing. So I just totally disengaged from the entire movie when these people started showing up, and uh, it kind of ruined it for me. But it's just, ah, man, it's just I don't understand why this movie looms so large in the in the pop culture consciousness. Can you explain it? Maybe. Well, I mean, we talked about it a little bit on our last episode when we were talking about Judge Dredd, right? It 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 is. And especially in the 70s, right, you kind of had that New York City is a shithole and it's who's going to do something about yeah. it. You know, we need Batman situation, yeah. uh, right? Like, it's just, there's yeah. definitely people that want to do that. Yeah. And this gave this gave them a hero. Uh, I guess. But it's like there, there was little, little to differentiate the Paul Kersey character that Bronson plays from someone like Travis Bickle. And taxi driver. I mean, it's literally almost the same uh, vibe, where the guy just like is so traumatized by whatever that he just decides to go on a on a killing spree. Almost, it's just it was just weird because Charlie Bronson in it's, this movie I is think, not likable. 
but it's a like re- I guess for for the time it came out, there's a real frustration. You know, when you have yeah. rampant crime, because New York was fucked up in the 70s. I mean, oh, yeah, yeah. It, it, like, like Escape from New York is, you know, another reaction to what was going on there. It's, it was just, you know, terrifying. I, I think it makes sense that you would have a film that says, you know what, we can take this back. One of the ways to do it is extreme fucking violence. And yeah, it does and, feel and good to get revenge. There aren't enough good revenge movies, I don't think. You know, I mean, that's the one guess, thing going for Death Wish is they these people do something horrible to this guy, and this guy does something more than hire a lawyer. Yeah, well, he's like the system I, fails him, so he takes the law in his own hands. I mean, it's I think everything kind of stems out of that. Like you've seen this movie before, yeah. just probably done better, but uh, it was just it was just it's weird a to watch because yeah. Because basically, I mean, it's like, there are westerns like Hang 'Em High that do the same thing. This is yeah, just exactly. you know set in what was at the time the present day. I think yeah. there's another. There's a book that is really good. Uh, I'm not one of those people who's really into Tom Clancy, but without remorse is Mr. Clark g- killing one by one the people who killed his girlfriend, and it's that same palpable joy of of the bad people getting what the fuck they deserve i i, I guess right. the thing is i'm not saying death wish is a good movie but i totally understand it well i mean it was just weird to watch because then you see bits of this show up in like robocop and that type of mm-hmm. scenario i mean it's like i'm like mm-hmm. there were there were times where like when when robocop kills the the rapist or shoots the rapist in the dick i mean that's literally something that looks like it's lifted right from uh, a scene in Death Wish. I mean, it's just got that vibe, and so I can see how it looms large across that sort of thing with the like the Grindhouse Cinema and whatnot. But it's just, yeah, literally the the movie is like the first half is him like dealing with his grief over his wife and daughter, and then he decides to to get away to Tucson on a business trip, and then meets this like like rich developer who's trying to create like a community in in the desert of tucson who literally gives them a gun as a parting gift because they're buddies now and they went to a shooting range so now charlie bronson's got this pistol he takes it back to new york and then the rest of the movie is just him like hiding the pistol and then he gets pissed off and decides to go hunting thugs and he just goes to like a train station or the park or whatever and he baits them and he shoots them and kills them and then (laughs) goes goes and puts the gun back and then waits for the news and then the cops start chasing him it's just such a weird like I don't, I just don't get how is, it was such a big thing. It's just not very well done. Is this? I can't remember if this is before or after Abel Ferrara's uh, Miss Forty Five, which is the exact same thing, except it's a woman and she's trying to get guys to rape her so that she can shoot them. Well, yeah, I mean, it's like I spit on your grave and that sort of stuff. I mean, it's the same deal. But Miss Forty Five uh, was like a like early eighties, so that that came out around okay. the same time as Death Wish Two, et cetera, et cetera. It's just because yeah, that also none of, when I when I saw that I had the same reaction of yeah get him get that motherfucker so <laughs> again yeah. I get it I think I mean, that, you, you know, know what though you know how they say that they shouldn't let kids play video games with lots of gun violence like GTA they shouldn't let Republicans watch movies like this because they assume that the movie <laughs> yeah. story is the reality yeah. see the way they do it that's the way we should do this here now. It's like, no, 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 the yeah. way we should do this here now is to look at why these people are being criminals and fucking get to them early in a movie that's boring. In a movie, we shoot yeah. them. 
in reality, we, we try and solve the larger well, problem. I think part of the problem for me with just it's because it's such a built up part of the pop culture. I mean, like you get the whole stuff that comes out, like Bernie Getz was totally just influenced by Death Wish. I mean, riding the subway with a pistol mm-hmm. and then shooting a bunch of thugs. I mean, it's just, you know, pretty gross. But as far as like the the wind down of Charlie Bronson's career, this was like the last push the 70s. So like you watch stuff like The Mechanic or Mr. Majestic. Uh, you know, it's, those are, those are fun movies, but they're also not rooted in any sort of reality. They're just sort of, uh, you know, onesies an assassin onesies, just like a, a guy trying to sell vegetables and gets caught up with the mob or whatever. And then Deshworth comes out and he's just not a likable character. It's just such a weird deal. Like Charlie Bronson has some charisma. If you see him in other stuff like Dirty Dozen or, you know, Magnificent Seven or whatever. And in this one, he's just like, he's an absolute just wreck from start to finish. And I just didn't care. <laughs> I just didn't care. So <laughs> anyway, that's your film history. Uh, if, you, if you want like a movie that Quentin Tarantino probably loves more than anything, watch Death Wish. But I was Oh, just Eli it. Roth <laughs> remade it with Bruce Willis a few years ago. Yes. Oh, God. It's, <sighs> that is unwatchable. There are, there are two yeah. really good murders in that film, which is what you watch any Eli Roth film for, but there's only two, and it's, it's the length of a movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, if we want to talk about old movies in New York City, yeah. we could move on. That's the, that's the gist, <laughs> yeah. Fresh goes better. All right. So, uh, quick change. Quick cha- okay, show of hands. Yeah. Who, hearing, who listening to this podcast has ever heard of Quick Change with Bill Murray, Gina Davis, Dennis, yeah. oh, Randy Quaid? I'm going uh, to guess yeah. Precious Few because if you Google Quick Change, the first yeah. thing that shows up is not the IMDB page, but a list of ways that you can have your money stolen from you by Quick Change artists. Yeah, yeah. Or, yeah. or that woman who was on AGT, the, you know, Leah something that was a Quick Change. Yeah. I mean, former, but this, no, yeah, this movie came and went like very hush hush. It just, it just like split second was gone because nobody <laughs> saw it, which is just so weird because it was at the height well, of Bill Murray's Bill Murraydom. And so, you know, what are you going to do? It, it came out in 1990. Yeah. Bill Murray is, is on a hot streak. Gina Davis's hot streak is about to get super hot in the next year or two. Um, it's, directed co-directed by bill murray which i think this may be the only thing he's directed yeah pretty yeah. much because it's uh it tanked i don't think it uh it did much for his burgeoning yeah i'm not sure what that means co-directed in this case was it really he wanted to direct but he has no directing skill and so they hired an actual director to help well, him here's make the, the things he wanted happen well here's the deal it's it's for for those uninitiated basically quick change is a a comedy about a a guy in New York who's so fed up with living in New York and all the bullshit that he dresses as a clown and robs a bank and then for the getaway gets trapped in New York because New York is so terrible and he's trying desperately to get out with his girlfriend and his buddy who helped him rob the bank. That's the gist. It's basically a heist movie yeah. where they don't show any of the planning stuff. It's like a reverse heist movie. They show the actual heist and then the end where everything crumbles and he's basically trying to get away. Uh, that's the gist. Just struggling to get yeah. 
yeah, all the way to the airport. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, an, <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting twist on the heist movie where nothing goes wrong with the robbery. Everything yeah. goes wrong with the just after the robbery. <laughs> yeah, with the, with the escape. Yeah. And, uh, and it's based on a book uh, of the same name that had actually been made into a movie about six years earlier in the mid-80s uh, with Jean-Paul Belmondo, who is the French actor from uh, Breathless and a bunch of other new wave classics. And so it's just, it's already been done once and nobody went and saw it. It was a movie called Hold Up. So for some reason, Bill Murray does it, but he's also, it's the first time he's producing it. He's directing it. He's starring in it. So this is like his big push, but it almost feels like when he had all that clout coming off of like Stripes and Ghostbusters that he made him Mm -hmm. do Razor's Edge where he starred as in like a dramatic role. And that was like his big vanity project. And it just tanked. Take Bill Murray seriously phase of his career. Yeah. And so, and so this, I think was him trying to maybe have a little bit more, uh, control behind the camera and it just didn't take, which is a shame, but there you have it. But it's a pretty slight movie. And I'll tell you, like Brian, you talked about you, you had worked at the movie theater and you saw the trailer ad nauseum. Oh yeah. And just to set the state, cause you can't find, and this is the other weird thing. You can't find that original trailer on YouTube or anywhere, but basically they use the Nat King Cole song. L-O-V-E to set up like bits of the movie and you get L is for the way you look at me and then they cut to like you know Randy Quaid having a meltdown or whatever that was the trailer and that made me want to see the movie I can't find it anywhere it's it's like they've just scrubbed everything on the internet about this movie it's just gone nothing and uh I mean the there were two trailers there was the L-O-V-E trailer and then there was another one which you can absolutely find on YouTube Mm -hmm. and it's uh, and I saw both of them like a zillion damn times because, like I say, I was managing you, movie theaters at the time. And did you hate Nat King Cole? I'm, I mean, no, no, but I just I, I hated us singing that song All outside over of the movie theater and over and over and over. <laughs> um, that and I like but, New York in June because I think that was the same year as Fisher King, right? Oh, right, right. No, I think Fisher King was '91, but yeah, I get your gist. Okay, it was the same vibe. Yeah. But uh, but just the whole setup of the movie, it starts with that like very serene, like almost pristine, 100% just lovely shot of New York to L-O-V-E. And then you find out it's mm-hmm. just like a billboard ad on a subway train. And it just pans across <laughs> all of these like just wrecked New Yorkers. And it gets to Bill Murray dressed as a clown. And the first bit is him trying to exit the train at the stop and just people will not let him get off. <laughs> and he's so, and he's got that such a fed up look on his face and it just sets the stage for the rest of the movie. He's just such a misanthropic, just hates everything dude in this movie. It's like his, it's like the start yeah. of what he would do later in the nineties. It's like, this is his testing ground for it because this is before like mad dog and glory and before Rushmore and that kind of stuff. And so this is almost like his prototype for the later part of his career. So it's just a weird thing to see. Yeah, he's just he's just had it. So one of the reasons he's had it, his job is that he's he designs these new buildings. He's part of the gentrification. So like it's funny <laughs> we talk about um, you know, New York being a cesspool in in the 70s and and you know this has been a theme for a while all of a sudden on the show uh and Death Wish 
And and this is that moment. This is 1990 when we're starting, you know, it's the Giuliani thing and we're starting to like paper over the the rundown shitty part of New York and build this new sort of like shopping mall version of New York. And he's part of that gentrification and he hates it. And he's looking at like old buildings like, why, why do they have to do this? And this is part of the reason he's leaving. Um, I I found that to be, well, yeah. Uh, interesting from the perspective of the future, right? Well, they've, they've kind of peppered in like you, when you watch it, it's just, it's, it's set up as just a comedy crime caper kind of thing. Because the first like thirty minutes is him actually robbing the bank, and he's just dressed in, in that clown makeup and the whole nine yards, and he's being a total Bill Murrayish jackass to the cop yeah. Jason, Jason Robards, Robards who's the chief of police, yeah, who's trying to man- manage the the bank hostage situation. Um, and it's just yeah, but the whole thing is like it's one of my favorite lines in a forgettable movie. It's when he runs up to the, the bank at the beginning and then when he coerces his way in with uh, Chris Elliott's dad, Bob Elliott, as the, the old security guard. He's like, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mess with me today. And he's got all the dynamite on him. He's like, what kind of clan are you? The crying on the inside kind, I guess. I mean, it's like the most Bill Murray of deliveries. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then it just kind of it's- goes from there. I just, yeah, my thing with this movie is it's a serviceable enough comedy. Right. It's like there are funny parts and all that, but it is a slog to watch a second time. It's like, I know, okay, it's, I know what's going to happen. And yeah. then there's a bunch of sort of from outer space, oh, come on, that can't happen kind of moments. Yeah, yeah. But we're setting up an ending. It's kind of like we're, we're, we've got a finish in mind and just shut up. We got a script and we got to get through it. Yeah. I, yeah, it's like like I said, it was enjoyable enough at the time, but wow, this thing was I mean, work. I mean, it's it's always <laughs> held a weird place in my consciousness because I saw it in the theater, and then it just disappeared. But working at Blockbuster, it would come in, and I would suggest it to people. But we didn't have a lot of copies. I mean, and that one kind of just faded. But like Brian was saying, it just like at some point, it just totally disappeared from the conversation entirely. It's like it's just this weird black hole in the early 90s career of bill murray and it's because he's on the heels of the terrible ghostbusters 2 and then he makes <laughs> this thing and it didn't go anywhere uh and then like a year later he does what about bob and then groundhog day and then he does ed wood and king pin and so it just like it was like this weird lull before he like skyrocketed again in the nineties and everybody forgets this thing. It's just so strange, but it's just, you know, it's got moments. It's not terrible. Like Eric said, it does. I I think the, I think the, the whole bank robbery sequence is, has got momentum and is fun. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, and again, it's kind of making fun of, of everybody. You know, one of the, one of the best jokes in the movie is just that, you know, this bank robbery is going down and he's got hostages, and the cops are coming in, and therefore all of the street vendors start running in to try and like get <laughs> get in the crowd and sell their wares, yeah, right? Yeah. Like you know, I mean, it, hot dog vendors or whatever. Well, I like could. He's just you know, um, he's just doing the total like billing, uh, with the cop, you know, and it's just you know, he's like making all these insane uh demands like i want two choppers i want the bus i want the monster truck 
et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And where they, where they set everything up is they, they basically, Gina Davis and Randy Quaid are in the bank as customers, but it turns out they're in disguise. They're part of the deal to get the money out. And so then Bill Murray calls from like wherever on the way to the airport. And just at the tail end, Randy Quaid mistakenly honks the horn. And then that sets up the whole chase for the cops on their tail. And then they're basically stuck in the bowels of New York and they can't get out. And so there are moments that make me laugh still. Like when he's talking to the construction workers to try to figure out how to get to the BQE. And they're like, hey, well, you know, we we just take shit down today. Tomorrow's putting stuff back up. And then he's like, well, where, where did, you know, was there an arrow on there today? Well, yeah. He's like, well, will there be one tomorrow or will there be one? Like, where was it pointing? Uh, you know, we just put the stuff up tomorrow. And he's like, thank you so very much. You could have been extremely helpful and you were so much more. And then they're like right off. I mean, it's yeah. like, oh man. And then they're trapped. You know how falling down, you know, how falling down was like a gripe about Los Angeles in that moment. Mm-hmm. Like every problem with Los Angeles encapsulated in one guy's journey. Right, right. This feels like the same thing with New York. It was everything wrong with this city and the people <laughs> and, you know, like what's, what's happening with gentrification, as you say, subways, vendors, all this stuff. And, and yeah, them just sort of cruising through New York. Right. Uh, there's a, there's a character who presents an obstacle. Uh, towards the end of the movie, who is this bus driver? And the bus driver's whole deal is, yeah. I'm I live a clean life. I play it by the book. You got to have exact change. I got a schedule yeah. to keep, and I don't want to have anything to do with anybody else's bullshit. Just yeah. let me stand do behind my the job. white line, sir. Stand behind right. the white line. <laughs> yeah. And you know he's supposed to be like annoying in in the way that he does this, but he's kind of my hero in this. Cause he's like this guy who's figured Dude. it out, right? Like yeah, yeah. he knows how to exist in this world. He just does what he does. Right. He does it well. And everybody I else mean, can just like, yeah, please I mean, go away. like there's so much yeah. from this movie that I just did not appreciate when I saw it, when I was 19 that I totally appreciate now. Cause the whole gist of this thing is he just wants to get the fuck out of New York and be done with it. And having, left texas to move here to chicago like that last year in texas that's how i felt every single day of my existence and i so appreciate that vibe from this movie and so watching it again it made me laugh a little bit more because it's just all you want to do is get out and you can't like stuff just keeps pulling you back in and so i get it i mean it's just you know that leads to sort of the manic nature of it but it's just something about it, like Eric said, it's just, it's just off. You know what I mean? It should be more manic and, sh- and more like slapsticky in yeah. your face. And it's just, it's just not. Something is missing. I think because it meanders. I think because each one of the sort of, okay, yeah, yeah. falling down, you know, is a series of like mini moments at the, <laughs> at the burger joint. Uh, the people fixing the road. It's right. like these little things that happen to him that he happens across. This has that, but each one is just a little unsatisfying. Like the right. guy who robs them on the side of the street yeah. or the mob in the nondescript office. It's like these things that are like, yeah, I guess. I don't yeah. know. I, I I didn't follow any of those things. I mean, it made me want to read the book, honestly, to find out how much was missing from the script because it's, 
it it just feels like they yeah. went like here's the story beat we'll do that here's the next story beat we'll do that and so it exactly it never really this is a required moment yeah yeah and it just pushes the story forward but it never really gets fleshed out which was sort of i think the my biggest beef with it now and it's probably why it's not remembered or regarded which is a shame because it's it's serviceable it's passable there are way worse movies that have gone on to be way more uh you know revered in pop culture but i don't know it's just mm-hmm. it's just that weird blind spot in his career uh between the 80s and the 90s that just is strange to me i don't know but when you were at the theater when this was playing brian did, were the crowds like non-existent Oh, I have. I can't okay. remember. You weren't paying attention. I just. I know that it was there, and we <laughs> saw it a bunch. You know. Ah. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't paying attention to other people. I was a selfish yeah, young yeah. adult that couldn't see past my own nose. I, I don't. I was know. crying on the inside. Yeah. 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 But, <laughs> but the other thing too, the uh, like the the cameos that show up in this thing are pretty astonishing. Like uh, like Tony Shaloub shows up. As the cat, like the the foreign cab driver, which almost feels like a weird uh, audition for his breakout role in the show Wings, where he played a foreign cab driver. I mean, it's like his early career is literally just playing a cab driver for some some other country. It's just it was weird. He's to watch. kind of brown. Let's hire yeah. him. Yeah. Uh, so you get him. You get uh, Phil Hartman shows up. As the the guy who's taking over the sublet, and then they get a poke fun at uh, rent control, and how they're paying like twenty six hundred in the village for a one bedroom, blah blah blah. Just it falls so flat. And then Stanley Tucci shows up as like one of the mob guys yeah. in the way, like just inexplicably the convincing mobster. Yeah, yeah. But like inexplicably, before he was Stanley Tucci, I mean, I didn't know who he was at the time, obviously. Uh, and then my favorite is like uh, Clarence Boddicker, like Red Foreman himself, shows up at the very end as like the mob guy that uh, Jason Robards' character is chasing. It's just like, it, it, but none of it makes sense. It's like the the most like Das Machina kind of nonsense to get to that ending where they're on the plane. Jason Robards storms it and then basically arrests the mob guy he's been chasing his entire career. I mean, it's just like. What? I just you just sit there and you watch it like how does this can fit? It, can 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 anybody tell me what Gina Davis is doing with Bill Murray in this movie? Because exactly, she is obviously just a, a pill the entire time. Is not into how fucking awesome he is with his uh, his fast thinking and his robberying. Well, why why are you there? Yeah, go away. Yeah, it's all very perfunctory, and it's too bad too because this is right on the heels of accidental tourist um where she got all of but this all hinges on that relationship basically there all this shit that's going on he's doing for her and she wants him to just calm the fuck down like it's almost like this movie could have started like six months before this movie started where he's like fuck it all i'm gonna fucking rob a bank and she said hey calm down yeah you know (laughs) i mean yeah what yeah but it's established that that was actually what what she was into but she was but i think but she realizes that now that she is pregnant and she's thinking about having a baby with him, she's like, oh, he's going to be a very yeah, bad yeah. father, right? Like, that's the... Well, uh, that's yeah, because he, he robs the bank and gets away with it, and then he basically robs the mob because he's talking fast, even though he has no idea what he's doing. 
she's like, holy crap, this guy's actually kind of a psychopath almost. So, so yeah, it's a weird transition, but it's, but it's weird because this is the one sandwiched between in her career between accidental tourist where she got the Oscar nomination and Thelma and Louise, which just exploded her career uh, into new levels. And so it's, it's weird to see her in this just sort of as almost set dressing. I mean, it's just, it's not, it's not a, a memorable character. She's just sort of there to, to, I guess, be the voice of reason almost. And it's just, it, but it's so obviously that, that it just sort of falls apart to me. It's just, it's unfortunate, but what can you do? But, uh, but the fact that she has come out now and basically said that Bill Murray was just like a total creeper asshole about during that mm. whole shoot. Yeah, everybody's saying that now. And it's just like, but so when you, when you watch it with that in the back of your, your mind, she actually acquits herself very well because it, she, she always, uh, seems to have chemistry with them. But knowing what we know now about what allegedly happened, it's like, wow, that she's really keeping it together for someone who's like, you know, not very happy with this entire experience. So I applaud her for that. But, uh, it's just so weird. That's the other and thing. Randy is, Quaid is just yeah, yeah, Randy yeah, Quaid. Yeah, yeah. yeah, it's weird watching a movie with Randy Quaid and Bill Murray and not thinking about where they would end oh, up. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fucking Randy Quaid. I can't watch anything with him now without thinking about what a, just a total jackass he is. Like, he's lost his absolute mind. Yeah. yeah. Oh, Christ. He Holy. played Randy Weaver uh, and just never left yeah. it. It's crazy. Oh, my God. Uh, but what can you do? But, but just... Uh, but just in the grand scheme, of, I mean, it's just like 1990 was a weird year for film anyway. Uh, like, I don't remember a whole lot coming out of that, but I think that was the year that Home Alone just basically took over everything. And so... And Dick and Tracy. Dick, yeah. That was when they tried to have another Batman, yeah. and they made that. Yeah. <laughs> and so Quick Change just got summarily, like, swept under the rug. Like, ho-hum. Well, Quick quick Change is, is of a breed of movie that they don't make a lot of anymore which is sort of the you know the the low budget comedy yeah. thing right like it, it you know it's it's of a piece of with like the secret of my success oh, or Lord, something Jesus. like that yeah, right yeah. where it's just <laughs> sort of a disposable movie with a name star on the front that that was shot you know yeah. whatever well i mean over a short amount well, of time I mean, not long ago we did we had to talk about the movie Soap Dish, which came out the year later, and it's the same kind of vibe. It's sort of like yeah. this all-star cast. It's just a very specific, farcical take on culture. But that one is so much more enjoyable to watch than Quick Change, which is just you know, it's just it's affable. Whereas Quick Change, I think the biggest complaint that critics had was that there were just no likable characters from top to bottom. And I agree with that. Like, I don't, I don't like Bill Murray in this. He's just, he's sort of like the icky version of the Bill Murray uh, character. You know what I mean? And they just don't really do anything to exp- expand on that. And then everybody else is just there to, like, play off of him. Almost. It's lazy. I could be wrong. Glad we watched it. I mean, I mean, I honestly, I had, I had been wanting to rewatch it again, but I could not find it anywhere for the longest time, like years now. And I wasn't going to pay for it. So I was trying to find a place that had streaming this and that. 
Uh, so when it showed up, I'm like, oh, okay, we can finally watch it. And now <laughs> I rewatched it and I went, well, well, I don't remember why I wanted to rewatch it now because it's just, it's not, it's just not that good in the grand yeah. scheme. It's unfortunate. It's one of those movies you remember better than it was. Exactly. Did we do a whole show on that? Probably. It's like, it's yeah. like comedy has a shelf life. Yeah. yeah. It, it, it stops being funny when you, yeah, time yeah. goes by. Like, I think it, it reacts. No of its comedy has to react to the universe it's in, and you know, quick change is about a time that doesn't exist yeah. anymore. I mean, it's like you can't watch one, two, three and laugh out loud because you don't necessarily understand the cold. Yet war. I do when I watch that one again and again. Go figure. Yeah. Well, we have memories. Yeah, yeah. We read. Well, I mean, for this, <laughs> it's like it's sort of like you can if you watch this movie, watch it for the bank heist because that's fun. It's amusing. Uh, it pokes all the right buttons, and it and it sort of just uh, falls apart after that, which is like the rest, <laughs> like the rest I of, will the, say, of the movie. Yeah, I did, I did. As in the theater, I did laugh out loud when Gina Davis says, "Oh, this is a fucking nightmare." Yeah. I, I <laughs> that was still yeah. funny. Well, I like that. Or uh, when they're they're limping their way to the airport and the plane flies overhead. Was that our plane? No, no. If that were our plane, it'd be crashing. I mean, it's like that's the general gist yeah. of, the, <laughs> of like their mood. It's just like it just goes from bad the, to worse. Oh, oh no! Wait, the Mexican joust with the two guys on the bicycles oh, yeah, who yeah. joust each other with like mop handles, yeah. and like one knocks the other off the bike, and then they show the people who are watching the joust, and they each have this different expression and reaction that tells you there's an entire movie going on yeah, yeah. with all of these characters. I mean, we're it- in the middle of something <laughs> that's going on completely different from what we've paid yeah. to see, and then Randy Quaid saying, oh man, it's bad luck just seeing something like yeah. that. Well, you've got like the priest like just throws up his arms and gets angry and it pans down and like the one woman just sits in the lawn chair smoking the cigarette and it's like a Francesca Fiore kind of a thing. Yeah. Like from the kids in the hall. I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's a whole sub movie. And a kid movie. ringing a bell. Yeah. yeah. And the woman, yeah. Flores, por los muertos. <laughs> I remember when I, when this came out, we would, uh, we would say that it's... over and over and over just as a joke uh, to the point where it was like, it was no longer funny. But we would still say it because <laughs> it's just dumb. Oh, so yeah, it's a. I'm I'm glad we saw it. I don't need to see it again. I think I mean, we're good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. I didn't suffer through it the way we've suffered through some others. Yeah. So I mean, I mean, yeah. I'm. I could have picked good. like singles. I could have made you watch that again. I suppose. I mean, you there's done so that, many yeah. others, but whatever. Um. Hey. Uh, if you're a listener, subscribe to the podcast because at some point we're going to run out of ideas and that'll probably happen. So you want to be subscribed to, to <laughs> catch that one. <laughs> um, and, you know, rate us on your podcast app of choice, share it with your friends on social media feeds. And if you want to reach out to us, go to our website, maghuge.com, M-A-G-H-U-G-E.com. And there's links to our Twitter and our Facebook and our Instagram and a way to email us at magnificentlyhuge at gmail.com. And yeah, join us next week for singles, I guess. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Never. No. 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 There will be no Cameron Crowe on this show. No. No. 